not, if you're ready, we'll be uh, turn to the book of Proverbs tonight, Proverbs chapter 6. Um, we're going to hit quite a few verses tonight, but Proverbs 6 will be a main one. Uh, and then also later Psalm 19, we're going to pick up a verse there as well. Um, so two main verses, but then we'll, like I said, we'll probably hit quite a few tonight. Uh, but I want to look at something. Um, I want to look at how the law... Uh, and salvation kind of work together, how those uh, two pieces work together. How the law, basically the law's part in salvation. Uh, I want to look at that tonight. And I have, uh, I didn't just pick these two uh, verses or these this topic, but also I want to, to do two things, to look at uh, how the law plays a part of salvation, but also want to look at how those two main verses, the one in Proverbs, the one in Psalms that we're going to look at, how they are different in the other Bible versions. Um, if you didn't know here, we, we use the King James Version of the Bible. We, that's the one we give away. That's what we teach from. That's what we preach from. Uh, and there is a difference. You know, I've been asked many times why uh, we use this Bible, why we've chosen it. And, uh, you know, you can ask different ones and you get all kinds of different answers. But I, I, I told our, uh, the head of our state, I said, listen, I said, I've compared them. I said, I've compared them against each other. Uh, you know, I've read the entire KJV through multiple times. Uh, the first time I read through the Bible, it was the NIV. That was the first time I ever read through it. And I've compared over the years, and I have found pretty clearly that there's a difference. And uh, uh, the difference sometimes is staggering. And tonight we're going to see a couple uh, examples of that, of why uh, we also, again, preach and teach from the King James Version. Uh, now, I'm not saying that anyone who, else who doesn't uh, is going to hell or can't get saved or anything crazy like that, but I'm just saying uh, there is a, a, a version I believe that's right. I believe that for an English-speaking person, I don't think there is a better version out there uh, to study the Word from. Uh, and again, that's why we do it. But tonight, we'll, we'll see some of the comparison tonight, uh, and I think it'll be pretty eye-opening. But uh, like I said, we're going to start with uh, Proverbs 6.23 says this, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I'll read it again. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to be able to dig into your word tonight. Lord, help us to see the truth. And Lord, help us to, uh, to discern. Uh, I know that it's a controversy with many on which Bible to use. But Lord, uh, I believe that you've given us one that's pure and preserved like you promised. And Lord, I, I ask that you'd help me to preach. Open up our ears and our hearts to your word. And if any don't, anybody he doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they'd come to know you for salvation before it's too late. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So one of the things we think of is we often think of the, the Bible itself being a light, right? That, that shouldn't be a surprise. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and, the, and a light unto my path. So we know that the Bible is a light. And you think of what a light does. You know, in a, when it's dark, uh, it just takes a little bit of light and then all of a sudden you can start seeing things. We flip on lights uh, when it gets dark so we can see. And the Bible itself, 
uh, says that it is a light, you know, and you're thinking, well, well, Mike, it's, it's light outside. You mean like a flashlight? No, what I'm talking about is there is a spiritual darkness in this world. And what happens is without God's word, people are, they're just like stumbling around in the dark without a light. And the Bible says uh, that once you get into that word and once you see what the truth is, it is like turning on a light in the darkness spiritually, and it will help you not only uh, uh, guide you to Jesus Christ, but once you're saved, it shows you how to live. And that's what it's talking about, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path in this dark world. So we know the Bible is light. But God is also light. We know this, that 1 John 1, 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And in fact, Jesus said he was a light. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So I think when you say those, when you say the Bible's light, God is light, Jesus is light, I I don't think those are a surprise. But then the verse that we read, Proverbs 6.23 says, the law is light. So we're thinking about the law of God, the the early part of the Bible where the commandments are, the statutes are, uh, you know, and things like that. The law of the Lord being the light. And we, uh, I think that's something that you don't really think of or we don't hear of very much. But really, if you stop and think about it, without the law, without God telling us what's right and wrong, without God telling us how he expects us to live, uh, we would have no idea God's expectations. We would have no idea uh, what's right and wrong, because as we said this morning, this world changes what's right and wrong every day. They change what's politically correct, what's moral, what's acceptable, changes day in and day out. Uh, and, And I'm glad that with through the Bible, we have a, 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 a law. We've got a, a, it tells us how to live morally, how to live righteously. What God says is, is right versus wrong and holy versus unholy. And that's what it does. The law of God, it says it illuminates uh, uh, and, and kind of separates the behavior between holy and unholy, righteous and sinful. And here's the thing, when you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody, the first hurdle you have to jump over is you have to show them what sin is. You have to say, uh, the Bible says these things are a sin. You know, uh, the easy ones, you go to the Ten Commandments, you know, not lying, not murdering, not committing adultery, no other gods before him and different things like that. Honor your father and mother. But it goes further than that. You know, there's a a, a whole book full uh, of things that tell us what to do and not to do. And what that does is it illuminates. And one of the things it illuminates is how much we fall short of God's expectations. You know, that's what it should do right off the bat. You can say, well, I've never killed anybody, but can you say you've gone your entire life without lying and you'll go the rest of your life without lying? No, None of us can say that, you know, and that's just one. And the Bible's pretty clear. You offend in one thing in your entire life. You are a sinner. And that's what the Bible illuminates because this world would never say that. This world, you say one lie in your entire life, this world would say you're a great person, right? You're a pretty good person. Uh, That's pretty good of you. But God said, no, all it takes is going against me one time. And that's enough. Bible says we're born in sin, but we also commit sin. So either way, 
We're a sinner. And that's the, like I said, the first hurdle. And it's impossible to show somebody that they're a sinner without the law of God, without uh, uh, the law of God showing how sinful we really are. Because Jesus, uh, uh, he ups the ante with the law. And he says, not just committing adultery, uh, you know, physically doing that, uh, uh, you know, uh, going and, and, and cheating on your marriage, but also mentally. He's saying, hey, uh, you look on another woman, that's committing adultery in your heart. And he, so he's upping the ante. And then you start to think of these things. My goodness, who can live right? Who can live a perfect life? Who can fulfill uh, all the things of the law? Because it seems impossible. And then comes along Jesus Christ, right? So once you, once the person realizes that they're a sinner and the Bible sums it up and says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, but once you realize that the, the law illuminates our sin, then you realize, then you can start talking about Jesus Christ who came to save sinners who died for the sins of the world was buried rose on the third day victoriously uh, and is alive forevermore see you what happens is sometimes we try to throw in Jesus first well, you don't, you don't need Jesus if you don't admit you're a sinner if you won't see the, your sinfulness and how it's separating you from God and that's why we teach and preach from both the Old and the New Testament as we, uh, uh, when we present the gospel and when we uh, just preach and teach regularly because the whole Bible works together uh, to lead people to Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.24 kind of sums it up. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So we said, Proverbs 6.23, I'll read it again. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So when we see the law is light, we're seeing how important it is in illuminating things. But now I'm going to read from four different versions, uh, and I'm not going to read the entire verse, but I'll read the important part, uh, the beginning and the middle. Uh, but the ESV in Proverbs 6.23 says this, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. NASB, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. New International Version, for the commandment is a lamp, this teaching is a light. And then the Message Bible in Proverbs 6.23 says, for sound advice is a beacon, good teaching is a light. And if you didn't notice there, the law has been replaced as a light. In every one of those examples, instead of saying the law is light, it's saying that teaching is light. And you you might stop and think about this. Well, Mike, I don't see I, I don't see how bad it is. I don't see why it makes that big of a difference. But uh, you think about I'll ask you this question. Hopefully, it's not too hard. If it says teaching or, or the teaching is a light or a light or is light, who who brings forth teaching? Teachers, right? So it's saying basically the words of a teacher that's teaching is light. And that starts to get dangerous because it's replacing the law of the Bible for the source of light to a teacher being a source of light. And that's dangerous because we know teachers can teach anything. 
right? You could teach from anything. I could get up, I could write my own book. I could get up here and I could say, let's turn to chapter two and let's read what I've written about whatever the subject is. And I could teach that. And the problem is if you're using the ESV, the NASB, the NIV or the message, then you could look at me and say that verse is saying I'm bringing light because I'm merely teaching you something. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know, there was a warning from Paul to Timothy. He's saying, hey, there's a time coming when they won't want to hear the truth. They won't want to hear the law. They won't want to hear the scriptures, the Bible. They will want to hear something else. They don't want sound doctrine, true doctrine. They want their own doctrine that fits their own life. And again, uh, with that warning, it's saying that the problem is there will come in teachers that will merely tickle the ears of the people that are listening. Whatever they want to hear, they will teach and we're seeing that right we're seeing it across you know you were mentioning tiktok we've i've seen many snippets uh of so-called bible teachers and i just listen i watch it for a minute and i'm like my goodness this is so wrong it sounds good it tickles the ears it maybe makes you motivate you or makes you feel better but it doesn't deal with sin it doesn't talk about jesus christ it doesn't bring any truth from the bible he said the time will come. It's already here. Second uh, Peter 2.1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Here's the problem. There's sound teachers, and then there's false teachers. Right? There are ones that use the word of God and then there are false teachers that create their own doctrines, their own beliefs and, and teach damnable heresies, the Bible says. And here's the problem is we have to discern what's right and wrong. And if you're going to discern what's good teaching from bad teaching or good preaching from bad preaching or a good book from a bad one about Christianity or the Bible, it takes the Bible to make that determination. And here's the problem. If your Bible says Proverbs 6.23 that teaching is light, you're going to be confused, right? Because all teaching can't be light when we've got false teachers walking around that the Bible uh, is talking about. So to me, it creates a contradiction that doesn't need to be there. But not only that, is I'll give you a, I'll give you a little insight. When they create a new Bible, they will say it's to make it more readable. They will say it's to remove the these and the thous, right? They'll say these things, yet they have created version after version after version. And the reason they do that is not to get rid of the these and the thous. They got rid of that a long time ago in an early version. The reason they're doing it now, not to make it more readable, is to make more money. That's what they do. It's a money thing. They make money when they come out with a new translation and they say it's about readability. They say it's about clarity. But here's the thing. When it's about money, you have to make your, if, you, if I'm going to create a new Bible and I'm going to make money off of it, I have to make the most people want this thing, right? I have to make it uh, uh, appeal to the widest audience as possible so as many will buy it and then I get to, you know, fill my pockets with money. That's what they do. And here's the problem. If I'm going to create my own version and I say the law is, is light, right? 
If I say the law is light, that's exclusive. That's offensive. That's saying that there is a right and a wrong, right? There is a truth. There is uh, uh, what God said is right and wrong and, and, and it's not changing and, and it is illuminating in your life. Well, guess what? That doesn't fit a lot of people that call themselves Christians. They don't want that. They don't want exclusiveness. They want to be open, open to any sin that's going around. They want to be accepting of any kind of immoral practice. They want all of these things. So rather than saying something offensive, they change it to saying teaching is light because then you can fit whatever you want in there. And it's the sad truth, but that's what they're doing. I want to look at one more verse. If you turn over to Psalm 19, Psalm chapter 19, we're going to look at verse 7, also talking about the law as well. In the King James Version, Psalm 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I'll read it again. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The simple. See, we already talked about the law being light. It illuminates sin, but also it plays a part in converting the soul. That's what it says right in the middle of the verse. The law plays a part in converting the soul because what it does is it shows us not only how wicked humanity is, it shows us how wicked we are and falling short of God's law, but it also shows us how holy God is. Right? It shows us that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. He didn't break any of it. He fulfilled it. Uh, and here's the thing. God is not changing his mind on what's right and wrong. He's not breaking his law. He's not accepting sin. And he gives consequences for sin in the law. That's what we see. And the wages of sin is death. That's what you can boil it, out, uh, boil it down to. And the law illuminates the sin shows the lost person that they are a sinner, that they've committed sin. And then that law also plays a part with the Holy Spirit to convict the sinner over their sins so that way they feel guilty. It's not just learning the truth of here's what God expects. I'm not living up to what God says. That's only the first step. Then the Holy Spirit steps in and says, now, wait a second, I'm guilty, right? I remember the day when I was nine years old. I grew up in church. I knew how to sing the songs. I went to vacation Bible school. I could have, uh, you know, told you a lot of different facts and things about Jesus Christ, but I'll never forget one Sunday night after church, we're driving home. Mom and I are having a conversation. And, and, and for the first time in my life at nine years old, even though I grew up in church, went to, uh, she brought us to all the services. You know, we were here all the time at church. Uh, but that night I felt the conviction. I realized I was guilty. You know, I could see that others were guilty. I could see that others needed Jesus. I realized I needed Jesus. And that's where the law goes to the next step where the Holy Spirit convicts and shows the guilt, shows the consequences of sin and realize I knew that night as a nine-year-old boy, if I died that night, I was going to hell. Even though I grew up in church and you're thinking, Mike, how many bad things could you have done at nine years old? I'm telling you, I broke plenty of things that God said not to do. And the law showed that. It illuminated the guilt and the consequences. But then the next step, after that, 
Holy Spirit conviction is to introduce Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus comes in. And that's where you show that, hey, he paid for the sins of the world. You look at what he endured on the cross. He despised the shame, the Bible says. You look at it, he spent six hours on the cross. They didn't just kill him uh, like they do today with an IV and drugs or an electric chair and make it quick and painless as possible. No, it was torture on the cross. That's what he went through, the full punishment of our sins yours and mine to pay for it on the cross so that way we wouldn't have to die for our sins but we could accept his sacrifice and he uh, we could call on Jesus's name and believe that he did that for us and believe that he's still alive and then and then pray to him and ask him to save our souls that's what I did at nine years old and I'm telling you what he saved my soul that night just as guilty as I felt about a half hour later when we got to our living room and I prayed and asked Jesus to save me because I believed the story and, and I knew that was the answer and, and I, 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 I prayed to him not a long prayer not an elaborate prayer but asked him to save my soul and he did that night he changed me and that sin uh, was gone the guilt was gone but the goal of the gospel is for Jesus to convert the soul of the sinner right through his blood and a big piece of that is the law of the Lord and that's why Psalm 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect or complete, converting the soul. Well, what do the other four versions say in this same verse? ESV or English Standard Version says this in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. NASB, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. NIV, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The message, the revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The message always, is always a little crazy. But uh, so we see reviving the soul, restoring the soul, refreshing the soul and pulling our lives together. So first, the ESV says reviving the soul. That means bringing something back to life and to bring something back to life. It had to have been previously alive. Right? That's what revive. We want revival. What is? What do we say when we talk about revival? That is bringing things back alive. You know, maybe things have gotten a little dull. Maybe the fire has kind of uh, died out a little bit, but reviving the flame, reviving things uh, in our hearts and in our church, that's what we want. And that's what it says, reviving the soul. But the problem is, if you start to think about what that really means or restoring the soul and the NASB is again, as if bringing the soul back to where it was previously. NIV refreshing the soul, giving strength to a tired soul, uh, you know, cheering up a depressed soul and then pulling your life together is kind of like an improvement or a small change. Well, here's the problem. If we're talking about the law of the Lord, reviving, restoring, refreshing the soul, that's a problem. Because Galatians chapter 3 deals with this pretty clearly. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to pull out a couple verses. Uh, Galatians 3.11, but no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Then down in verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And then 22, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Galatians chapter 3 makes it crystal clear the law can't justify, it cannot save. Justify just means pardoning the sin, forgiving the sin, putting us in right standing with God. The law can't do that. The law, in fact, it says is a curse. It's not a life bringer. It's not a restorer. It's not a refresher. It's not a reviver. It is showing where we fall short and it is leading to death. That's what it does. The law couldn't give life. So why on earth do these modern versions act like the law is reviving? That would mean giving life. That would mean something that's alive and it's bringing it back to, you know, kind of died out and bringing it back to life. It can't do that. It doesn't restore. It doesn't refresh. It convicts and it helps to convert the soul, not revive the soul, not restore the soul, not refresh the soul. It works in the conversion process by, again, pointing us to the one who completely fulfilled the law of Jesus Christ. So do you see this tonight? In two examples, we see that the law illuminates. It's a light. It shows us where we fall short. And then, again, that's part of the process that then leads us to Jesus Christ. And then the law plays a part, again, in converting the soul. Because when we're saved, it's not a restoration, right? It's not a reviving. It's not a refreshing. It is a complete change of life. Right. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're not just pulling your life together like the message says. No, you are abandoning the old life of sin and getting a new life in Jesus Christ. It's a total uh, second chance. It's a total new birth. It is starting over entirely. So when we see these other versions changing it, uh, some would say, well, Mike, you're just picking on him. No, the meaning is totally different. It doesn't work anymore. And not only does it cause confusion, it's the opposite in some places. And that, and among many other passages that we could look at and and different topics that I've done from time to time, where we compare just like this, it becomes crystal clear. There's the King James Version and there's the others because they follow the same pattern. Right where they make changes this time it was reviving, restoring and refreshing. But remember the first time, what did it say? Teachings of light, teachings of light, teachings of light. It was the same thing. It was the same change all three times. And remember what they said each time when they produced that Bible in that time that it passed in between. Oh, we've got a better version. We've got a more clear version. We've got one that will help you understand. We've got one that's more, uh, they'll say it's more tied to the older manuscripts. And they'll say this and they'll say that. But I'm here to tell you, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. That's why we preach from the King James. That's why we teach from it. That's why, the, again, the Bibles that we hand out are from that, even to kids. Uh, I'm telling you, they can learn it. And, and the, you know, what I always tell people are the, the these and the thous always get attacked. Right. They're the ones that always are seem to be under attack by these new versions. And I'm here to tell you that they are one of the best parts of the King James Version. Uh, I'll close with this. If you haven't heard it before, thee and thou start with T. Right. Ye and your start with Y. In the King James Version, if it starts with a T, it's singular. And if it starts with a Y, it's plural. So if it says thee. 
That's one person. If it says ye, it's multiple people. And here's the thing. Our English, if you boil that down to you, right? If you use you every single time, I don't know if it's a you one person or you multiple people because you all is not proper English. So when the, one of the famous things I think of is John chapter three. Remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And in that passage right there, Jesus is talking one-on-one to Nicodemus and he says, marvel not that I say unto thee, singular, me and you, Nicodemus, I'm talking to you, ye must be born again. He didn't say thou must be born again. Or only Nicodemus would have had to do that. He said, ye must be born again. And that's one of the many reasons why, man, it just takes away the doubt, takes away the confusion. I know it's a little different language, but you know what? I guarantee you go to high school, do they still pull out Shakespeare? Or have they changed everything he's written to make it more readable? No, no. And our Bible is not even anywhere near as hard as that. We've got it to where even kids can understand. But I'm here to tell you tonight... That the law plays a part in salvation, but the law cannot save. The only one that can save is Jesus Christ. And if you've realized that you're a sinner tonight, you can come to Jesus Christ for salvation. He'll save you. I did, Like I said, I was nine years old, uh, getting ready to turn 40 uh, in a couple days. So it's been 30 years ago that I've been saved and I've never regretted it. It's been a wonderful journey. God has blessed me. And guess what? I am still saved today, just as saved as I was that day at nine years old. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the altar.